0: Changes. We are here tonight. This is night number three, and I am so excited about your. Um, I am just so excited about your videos and and uh, all of the posts. I mean, I love it. I love it. You guys are grasping this, and you know when you grasp things, then you're able to embrace them and get free. Hey, Donna, hey, Linda, hey, Kimmy, I see you all. Boy, I get better and better each day with being able to follow you guys and encourage you, and you are encouraging me. This is amazing, 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 amazing. Well, this is day three of Permission Granted, Be Free from People Pleasing, and today we will be talking about, hold on one second, guys. My my wonderful assistant and partner is telling me something. I just wanted to welcome the call. I I, I, I got you. I'm, I have it all. I got it here. So day three, we're talking about who's your source. And tonight, I'm going to be talking about specifically the source of people pleasing and the source of freedom from people pleasing. But before I get into all of that, I want to welcome all of the relationship game changers callers that come on faithfully every. Wednesday, our gift to you is include to include you in tonight's challenge teaching, the permission granted challenge. And so we may go a little bit longer than normal uh, than we do on the Relationship Game Changers call. So I want to make sure you have the replay number ahead of time, so if you have to jump off, you won't be insulting us by any stretch of the imagination, but you will be able to replay the call at your leisure. So the number to replay the call for relationship game changers is 605-475-4980. The access code is three four one pounds and the reference number for tonight's call, Relationship Game Changers, is 114 pound. And I'm sure Amy will make sure that that is in the comment section. And so, yes, as we are on hump day, we are on hump day of the challenge. Remember, I told you it's like, you know, when you go to one of those water parks and they have a wave pool. And the wave pool starts where you can walk in and the water barely covers your feet right at your ankles. Then you go a little further, it gets up to your knees, and then, you know, you you venture on into the deeper water, and uh, you are confronted immediately with the waves. Well, on Monday, we were at the ankle level, and on yesterday, we went up to the knees. And so today, for some of you, it will be chest level. For some of you, it will be over your head. But guess what? I know how to swim, so we're all good. (laughs) So excited for you guys. I am excited i got to tell you why I'm excited, because I'm watching your videos. I'm listening to your testimonies. And I just love it when you're real and honest and vulnerable about where you are, because the place of healing is the place of vulnerability. And so that you guys are showing up in this safe place is amazing to me. It it, it just excites me to no end. So I'm glad we're all here tonight. And so um, let me see. I'm getting cues right now. Yes, we are recording on Zoom. Yes, yes. So for those of you, this is your first night with us. You can find all of the lives in Unit 3 and all of the homework in Unit 4. Remember, we've got giveaways on Friday. We're giving away a free three-day session to a breakthrough, and we're just amazed at the success that people are having in three days. Listen, if Jesus can raise people in three days, certainly God can resolve some things in your life in three days. And so we just thank you, thank you so much for all of you that take part in that. We're also giving away a one-year subscription to the Relationship Game Changer membership. And then also we're giving an autographed copy of one of my books, Face It With Love, The Guide to Conquering Fear. And tonight after this lesson, some of you are going to want to pick that book. Uh, and then another surprise, tomorrow, tomorrow, guys, guys, check this out, tomorrow, I've asked one of my clients, was she brave enough to come on and talk with me in front of you about people-pleasing and what God has done for her in this three-day challenge? And guess what she said? Yes! She would do it. So tomorrow I'm going to treat you to a client who will interact with me, and we'll even take some of your questions, and together she and I will come to you and share a little bit. And if I have another client, we'll bring another client. And, I mean, I've got more surprises for you, but I I think that's about all you can handle for now, so we're going to leave it right there. But I'm excited about what God is doing and what he has in store for you. So let's do this. Let me give you a recap for those of you who are new, not the long version, the short version of the recap uh, of yesterday, or at least day one, and then then moving into today. And I'll talk about where we left off today and where we're going tonight. Remember, tonight I'm talking about who's your source, because whenever you take a trip, somebody's got to pay for it. Come on, y'all. Whenever you decide to go on vacation, somebody's got to pay for it. A person, a credit card, a debit card, somebody's got to pay for you to be able to enjoy the freedom of a vacation, and this is no different. When we move from the land of people-pleasing to the land of the free, in the home where the brave people live, somebody's got to fund the trip, and we're going to talk about that tonight. So let's see. On day one, we established our location because anytime you're taking a trip we got to know where we're starting from right so if we don't know where we're starting from then anywhere we end up is okay so we all concluded that we were starting from this place called people pleasing and in the homework each of you had a chance to look over a checklist of just some not all of the things that would constitute people pleasing behaviors And so many of you went live and and shared and indicated that that some of the things on the checklist you could identify doing and that you admitted that you do or that you engage. So we agree that we are all starting in this place of people-pleasing. And let me just say this again. You may not let how can I look at it? Let's look at it as percentages. You may not be 100% people pleaser in every area, but I guarantee you there is an area of your life that you've learned to people please. And that's the area that God is concerned about because the area that you're pleasing others, it will be very difficult for you to please him. Why? Because no man can serve two masters. Either he will love the one and hate the other. So we're after that area, whether it's 20%, whether it's 90%, you know, I always look at it like this. A person tells me they stopped smoking cigarettes, that they smoked a whole pack, and now they're only smoking one a day. Guess what? They're still smoking. And that's the way I look at people, please. You may not be over the top. You may not be addicted to it. But ask the Lord, what area in your life are people more important to you than his, doing his will? And so when you have that answer, I'm sure we'll all begin in the same place so people pleasing is a skill that we learn to avoid the unpleasant feeling of rejection or disconnection we give up people pleasers when we're people pleasing we give up our boundaries and see boundaries are necessary for healthy relationships Boundaries also help other people to know how to relate to you in a healthy way. But when we're people-pleasing, we relax our boundaries to make other people happy, to make other people feel good. For whatever the reason that we are pleasing them, we relinquish or we forfeit our, ba- our boundaries. And boundaries are necessary. People-pleasing. <clears throat> we said that people-pleasing is a transaction to get what we want without having to experience awful feelings of the disconnection and separation of those that we love and those we find important. So many of us, when we love somebody, we don't want to hurt their feelings on purpose. Most of us don't, okay? I mean, I'm just saying most of us. We don't want to hurt people's feelings on purpose. We don't want people to feel bad. We don't want to offend people. And people who engage in people-pleasing behavior, they really don't want to offend people. In fact, they go out of their way not to offend people. They will incur the pain and the hurt themselves because they don't want to offend people. So it's a transaction that a people pleaser will set up so that they can avoid painful feelings. That's why we people please. Because pleasing another uh, is, is, is more pleasant to us than the unpleasant feeling. Of being disconnected, rejected, or separated from those that we think are important or those that we love. You know what is? You know, let me ask you this question. It's a great question. What is it called when we pretend to be something we to pretend to be something we're not? What is it called when we pretend to be something we're not? Bible has a name for it. anybody guess? Just drop it in the comments section. I, you know I love the comments because it lets me know that we're all on the same page and moving in the same direction. So when we pretend to be something we're not, we are lying. When we pretend or behave in a way that is uh, that that contradicts who we are, then we are lying. We are pretending. And remember I gave you the example in 1 Kings or 2 Kings 14 of Jeroboam's wife. Remember, she disguised herself as another person to try and get from the man of God a blessing that her person, that her substance would not have won her husband. Remember, her husband was an evil king and their son was sick. And the husband said, go, dress and disguise yourself as another woman, go to the prophet and seek. Seek a blessing. And Hijah, the prophet, the man of God, was blind, and yet the Lord spoke to him and told him that Jeroboam's wife was in a disguise. She's going to appear as another woman. Instead of bless her, I want you to pronounce these things over her. And it was a sentence of death. It was a sentence of death. So when we pretend to be someone we're not, not only are we robbing the other person of who we really are, we're cheating ourselves. And it really just brings a dishonor to the Lord, who loves us the way He made us and wants us to show up how we are. You know, I see the road to your phony, fake, counterfeit. Yes, when we pretend to be something we're not, we're fake. We're fake. We're phony. We're counterfeit. And you know what? Some of the most, you know, some of the most um, uh, religious, kind, Christian-appearing people are counterfeit. Why? Because their insides are not matching the outside. It's called hypocrisy. And so in order to be free from people-pleasing, we have to come out of hiding. And this is what we said yesterday, and that means that you and I have to possess our own life. We have to possess our life. We have to own what we think. We have to own what we feel, and we have to own how we choose to respond to the different things that are presented to us. You know, God's assigned the responsibility for your life to no other person but you. It doesn't mean that other people can't participate in your life. It doesn't mean that God hasn't called other people to help with your life. But at the end of the day, you are responsible for what you think, how you feel, and how you respond in circumstances. I like to say it all this way a lot, is that the things that happen to you may not be your fault. The mean, bad, and hurtful things that happen to you, may not be your fault, but they are your problem. And so you have an vested interest in participating in the solution to your problem. We also said that blame is a luxury that Christians can't afford. Because, see, when you blame, you absolve yourself of responsibility of having to engage the solution to your problem. In other words, you're waiting somebody for somebody else to fix you. And guess what? People pleasers are the best because they love rescue and They love helping. They love fixing people. And all those that have engaged in people pleasing, thinking they're going to fix somebody or rescue somebody, can just give me a high five, can just give me an emoji because you know it's true. A lot of women will marry men believing that they can fix them, believing that they can change them. And anyone that's been married any length of time, you know your ability to change your spouse is no and boy. So, yeah, yeah. So we have to come out of hiding. We have to own our lives. And so when we, when we don't, we're assigning – see, listen, when you don't own your life, you're assigning responsibility for your life to another. That's called blame. The assigning of the responsibility for your life and what happens in your life to another is called blame. And so when we don't own our life, according to John 10, 10, 17, and 18, which is a commandment that Jesus Christ received from his Father, and if the commandment was good enough for Jesus, guess what, guys? It's good enough for every kingdom citizen who served Jesus Christ as king. He is the model, He is the prototype, and Jesus never just wrote a blank check to anyone. There were times he laid down and times he refused to, and we have to be able to move in this hour. I like to look at it as being ambidextrous, that is, being able to work with both of your hands. If God wants us to be quiet, we ought to be able to be quiet. If God wants us to speak, we also should also be able to speak. If we only know how to be quiet and not express our opinion, guess what, guys? That's not freedom. It's bondage, and God is in the business of delivering us from bondage. That's what he came and died for. So on the cross, we exchange our bondage for his freedom. And so tonight, so again, day one, we talked about where we are, the location, where we're coming from, the land of people pleasing, what we need to take, who, I'm sorry, who we need to take. We need to take you. We need to take the real you. And last night we talked about and gave you a lot of questions about how you can begin to come and embrace the you who you really are. The you inside of you, you can embrace. And we gave you questions and and ideas how to begin to do that, because that's the you that we want to take to the land of the free and living in the home of brave people. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. How many of you want to live permanently in the land of the free and the home among other brave people? See, brave people inspire brave people. So when you get around a bunch of brave people, guess what happens to you? You get brave. And so we'll talk about the importance of that tomorrow, but today I want to talk about why you give command of your life to another, which is a.k.a. called people pleasing. Why do we do it? We know where we're starting from. We know who we need to take. That's the real you and not the pretend you. But now we're chest level and for some of you over the head because what we're going to talk about tonight is underneath the surface and we generally don't grapple with it and that's why I call it the deeper waters. Why do you give command of your life to another, a.k.a. people pleasing? Here's why. Here's why. Wow. Most of you already know. You fear rejection, which let me take that a little bit deeper. You fear rejection, but ultimately the fear of rejection is the fear of men. The fear of what men can do to you. The fear of what, when I say men, I don't mean male. I mean mankind. I mean human beings. I mean men and women. When we give when we give command, the authority of our life over to another, just blanketly, then, first of all, it makes us a slave. It makes us a slave. And Jesus did not want a kingdom of slaves. He said he wanted a kingdom of kings and priests. And kings and priests must know how to operate control and operate their own lives at his will and at his discretion and not at the discretion of men. So fear of rejection, which is ultimately the fear of men. Listen to what Proverbs 29, 25 says. The fear of men, man, brings a snare. The fear of man brings a snare. But he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. Now, a snare, think about um, if you ever watched a hunting show, or a snare is another word for it is a trap. So, like, you know, if you're hunting, I watched a show where guys were living and ladies were living off the grid, and they would lay these traps for animals. That's how they caught their food. And they would lay these traps in inconspicuous places and put some food or something very um, appetizing on the trap hopefully to deceive the animal to enter the trap. And when they did, the life of that animal now belonged to the one that trapped it. Let me say it again. The life of the animal belongs to the one that traps it. And now Proverbs twenty-nine twenty-five says, the fear of man brings a snare. So when you and I fear people, It is a snare. It is a trap. And then when we begin to engage in people-pleasing behaviors because of that fear, we become the catch, the bounty, and under the control of the one that trapped us. Think about that for a moment. Think about that. How many of you have just engaged in people pleasing to the point where you're just, you're drained. You're tired. You don't have any more. You can't say it well enough. Can't do it well enough. Can't, you know, everything you do, it could be better. And why didn't you do this? And you're apologizing and you're always adapting. And it's always you adjusting to make the relationship okay. Anybody can relate to that? Anybody can relate to going, I mean, doing cartwheels, you know, flips, speak loud, speak low, you know. This time, not that time, you know, just going out of your way, empty your bank account, spent money after money, and yet the person you're trying to please is still not the better for it. Anybody? Just show me some emojis there so that I know that I'm talking to who I'm talking to tonight. Some emojis. Let's see your emojis. Is that a challenging statement? Is that difficult to hear? You know, we all like to believe we're free. We really do, particularly Christians, particularly those that believe that, you know, that that love God. And we love to believe we're free. It's everybody else that's not. And yet, you and my relationships prove that we've been trapped in some areas of our lives. All the while, we're praying, raising our hands, shouting out to the Lord, some of us in ministry preaching from the pulpit. And you know what? Satan doesn't really care about that. He knows the word too. You know what really Satan cares about? He cares about how free you are to deliver the kingdom of God in the sphere of influence that God has placed you. He cares about whether you will choose God in your day-to-day life over other people. See, sometimes we think, and we've been taught, that serving other people is the whole ballywack of Christianity. I've told you before, and I'll tell you again, and I I don't know why I just want to repeat it. I I really just feel the need to repeat this in in case you missed it. And um, most people think that Moses' greatest accomplishment was that he delivered the children of Israel. Hands down. Whenever I ask people, that's what they say. But I would suggest to you that Moses' greatest fear, I mean, I'm sorry, Moses' greatest accomplishment is that he overcame fear and a nation of people came crashing through the doors of freedom. So there are about six fears that Moses had to overcome. One of them was the fear of men. I write all about it in my book, Facing with Love. Esther, the same way. We think Esther's greatest accomplishment was that she she saved the people of Israel by allowing them to take up weapons to defend themselves. That is a byproduct of her overcoming fear. What was her fear? She was afraid of men, ultimately feared death. She said to Mordecai, Mordecai told her about Haman's plan and told her, you need to go to your husband and appeal to him on behalf of your people. Esther said this to her uncle, everybody knows that if you go to the king uninvited, he has but one rule. If he doesn't extend that step scepter to you, you die. And Mordecai said to her, If you think you're going to save your life by not approaching the king, let it be known to you. God can raise up another deliverer, but basically you'll perish with your people. You're risking dying either way. Esther said this, proclaim a fast. I'm going to fast three days, me and my handmaids, and you tell everybody else to fast. And at the end of three days, I'm going to go into the king. And she said, if I die, I die. So Esther's willingness to get in the room with a man that she feared could not extend the scepter to her, she was willing to do it, and because she did it, a nation of people won the right to defend themselves, and the noose that Haman created, he was hung on himself by Esther and Mordecai, by the king's decree. My God. Every major figure in the Bible that you tell me about, we just need to look at their story. And in that story, tucked either directly or indirectly, they had to overcome fear to win the people that God has assigned for them to facilitate and usher them into into a salvation and a kingdom experience. But most of us focus on the people and not what's in us that's preventing us from having the kind of a success that God intended. So many of us have had marginal success. I've had marginal success in ministry. But spoken on national stage. I've spoken to hundreds of people. counseled, remarried folks. I've had marginal success. But it wasn't until I began to face the fear, and specifically the fear of men, that God began to expand the territory, increase my influence and my authority. Fear stands in between God's will for your life. Their sound went out on Facebook. Facebook. Are we back up on Facebook, Amy? Amy? Okay, let me know if the sound is back up. I'm going to look at Zoom and see if we're still on or where we are. Uh, Let's see. I don't – tell me if you're hearing me, Amy. No. You're not hearing me. It's that. Um, Wow, I'm not sure what's happening. Guys, hang on. Hang on. Hang on, guys. Stick with us. Wow, praise God. Stick with us, guys. Stick with us. Let's see what's happening here. Let's see what's happening. Stay on. Awesome, awesome. You guys are the best. Hang with me. We're trying to resolve this video. We're trying to resolve this Zoom.
1: Amy, can you
0: help me here? Huh? Um, I can't. Can you see yourself on Facebook? I can. I can. I can see myself on Facebook. Can, but can you take the mic out and see if you can go just with with that mic? With the mic on Facebook? Uh huh. With the mic on the camera. I don't know how to do that. Let's see. Let me try the mic on the camera. Let's see. Take this mic out. Okay, that's out. And let me see if I can get the mic on the camera. Um, Built-in mic. Here, let's try the select microphone. Let's try that. Okay, can you hear me now on Facebook? Hey, how are you? Wait, but can you hear me on Facebook now, Annie? Let me see.
1: All right. I know we
0: got, we can hear me on the Zoom call, I mean on the call. All right. Let's see where we are. Hang in there, guys. Hang in there with us. Guys, you know this is important. I tell you what, if we can overcome fear, we can get some things done in the kingdom and in this earth, I'm telling you. Yes. Hey, you You can hear me? Amy, I don't know where we are. I need you to tell me if you can hear me. Yes. You can hear me? Yes, you're I'm good. You can hear me. Yes. So use this mic. Yes. All, all right, guys. All right. Give me a moment to get my space again. <laughs> all right. So I gave you the examples of, of uh, Moses and Esther, and I'm telling you, then who will come crashing through the doors of freedom because you face your fear? See, a lot of times we're taught to be other-minded, and we should be. But your relationship with God, everything flows out of it. The Bible says you're crucified with Christ, but nevertheless you live. It's not you. It's Christ in you that lives, and our lives should be a response to what he's saying and doing in us and God works in the deep recesses of our hearts because, first and foremost, he wants us to look like him personally and that the glory of God will be in us in all of those places that some, you know, that we don't even want God to venture into. And so when we fear man, it drives us to perform for man's approval rather than God's instruction, commandment, or directive to us. Wow. Wow. So we fear man, we're at risk of setting up an altar, worshiping man, idolizing man, rather than worshiping God. And it's a heart issue that I'm talking about, not a behavioral issue. So you can be doing all the right things with the wrong heart. Listen, Isaiah 41.10 says this. It says, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah forty-one thirteen says, for the Lord your God will hold your right hand. That right hand is your symbol of authority. It's a symbol of authority it's saying to you, do not fear. I will help you. Verse 14, do not fear, worm Jacob, and you men of Israel, I will help you, says the Lord your God, the whole your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. And then Romans eight, twenty eight through thirty one, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Let me stop right there. Those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. It does not say right there that those he foreknew, he predestined to spend their lives working and winning people to Christ. But as Christians, for most of us, that is our number one objective. I'm not saying that's not important. But our first responsibility as a kingdom citizen is to conform to the will and the wishes of the king to reflect his character, his personality. See, guys, the anointing and gifts are what God gives us. They don't cost us anything. We don't work for them. Gifts are something that are bestowed upon you. You come with them. You come with gifts and talents and skills and abilities that we develop but your character is what you give God. And gifts do not substitute or replace the need to have a character as a kingdom citizen that reflects our king. So he predestined or ordained that we should be conformed to the image of his son so that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined to be conformed to his son He also called, and those he called he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. So he predestined us, then he called us, and then he justified us. So we have a responsibility to be conformed to his image, and what stands in the way of us being conformed to his image, and I'm gonna tell you the number one thing is fear. It's fear that prevents us. Fear now, the, the opposite of fear is not faith. You hear it all the time, you know, faith over fear. But the scripture says in 1 John four eighteen, there is no fear in love, which means love is the opposite of fear. And then Galatians says that faith works by love, which means love is the thing that fuels your faith. So if you want more faith, guys, then we need to receive more love because love is the generator of faith. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, it says faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Why, people of God, are we exalting faith over fear when the greatest of these things is love, and it's love that acts as the generator or the activator of our faith? Let me ask you a question. When someone loves you, when someone loves you, what is it that they will withhold from you? Think about a father that loves a, a child. What is it that a father will withhold? What good would a father withhold from a child? Everything you need is contained in God's love for you or in that person's love for you. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So the solution to fear is love, not faith. Many of you have, you can have great faith and no love. Did you know that? There are people that have a magnificent faith, but they have no love. And the Bible in 1 Corinthians 13 speaks about you can do all of these wonderful things. You can do amazing things. You can do amazing ministry, amazing this, amazing work, do all of these wonderful things and have not love. Wow. Wow. Wow, what we need today more than anything in the chaos are relationship game changers who love God but also love others as a sovereign act of their will, and that means they don't need anything from you to continue loving you because they, they chose to love you. They choose to love you, and there's nothing you can do about it. First Timothy 1 Timothy 1.7 says, or 2 Timothy, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Wow. I don't see any faith in that verse. God has not given us the spirit, the spirit of fear. It doesn't say God hasn't given us the spirit of fear, but faith, power, and self-control. No. He's given us power. And power, he's given us the spirit of his power, power, and love. And self-control. What do we need when we're afraid? We need self-control because fear will make you act like a fool. Fear will have you doing things that you wouldn't ordinarily do. Fear will do all of those things to you. So in the presence of fear, you need composure. You need self-control. I'll tell you a real example. Last night we were set up to go at about um, 840, um, seven. Uh, yeah, 740. My computer had done had had, had had all these downloads sitting on it, and it was running so slow. So I re- decided to restart the computer. Now I didn't know that it was going to take its time and download and upload everything that it needed to upload over the time I hadn't done it. So it is 8:55, and I'm like Amy, what are we going to do? And calm, cool, Amy. This is what we're going to do. Buh, 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 buh. And most of you had no idea that that took place. Wow. Why? Because we were able to receive composure. And what on the screen said would take 37 minutes ended up taking seven minutes. See, the biggest thing you and I need when we become afraid is love because love will quiet your heart. It says in Zachary, quiet my heart with your love. And one more for teachers. Fear is a demand for love. It's not a demand for faith. It's a demand for love. Because when you have love, then your faith will grow. Think about someone you love. I know women that have emptied their bank accounts because they believe they love this guy and ended up funding their life. Why? Because they believe they love them. And maybe they did. Maybe they did. The point that I'm making is love will make you do wonderful things. It'll make you do crazy things. But you're going to need a significant love of God because in this hour, we might look like a fool to some people. Obeying God may make us look like a fool to some people. And if that's the case, so be it, because we value the love of God more than we value the love and the approval of men and women. Wow. So drop me some emojis. Amy, I can't see the comments anymore. If you will share with me some comments or maybe I can pull them up. I know there's a delay. Let me see where you guys are. Fear. Fear is a demand for love. Whenever you become afraid, the next thing out of your mouth will be, Lord, thank you for reminding me of love. I receive it right now. And I'm going to show you how to receive love. I'm going to show you how you can do it every single day. Here's 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 the problem. I want to share with you the problem that happens a lot of times in the church. Yes, You're, we're good. Okay, so here I want to share with you this. I love real examples because I think it makes what I'm saying to you practical. It adds um it adds um well the scripture is alive, but but. We need pictures sometimes. So let me show you. I'm I'm going to show you two things. One, I'm going to show you one of the major problems in the church with love right now. And then I'm going to show you how you can receive more love every day as often as you want in a tangible way. So first let me show you one of the problems in the church. I just spoke about my computer. Every now and then, your computer, your phone, your device gets a little thing in the right-hand corner that says software update, right? And before we get to that software update, your computer has a case. It has a body. Your computer has a hard drive, which is synonymous with your spirit. And your computer has software or an operating system. That is synonymous with your soul. So we're much like a computer. In fact, we even think they got the idea to make a computer. We have a body. We have a hard drive, which is our spirit, which gets recreated when we receive Jesus Christ, and then we have software or an operating system. And so every now and again in your computer, you'll get a little notice of software updates available. Now, if you're like me, like I did yesterday, you wait days and days because you don't feel like going through all the rigmarole. So um, you wait to hit it. But when you hit it, then what begins to happen? Whatever is in the cloud that is germane to that update begins to be downloaded to your hard drive. And when it's finished downloading to your hard drive, the computer or the device will either automatically restart or it will tell you this computer is going to restart in 57 seconds unless you stop it. But the automation of the thing is to restart after what's been downloaded, that new information downloaded on the hard drive. Here's the thing. When that computer restarts, the new information integrates with the software and the operating system and the kinks or the problems in the operating system or the software are now overridden by the new information and the problem gets resolved. And so now you're on your happy way, computing again. No problems because the bug was overridden with this 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 program that was designed to amend or override the problem. Here's the challenge in the church. Listen to me, people of God. And this is one of the reasons that we don't see the power of God manifested in our individual lives and corporately. When we receive Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians says, we are a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. What becomes new is your spirit. Your spirit is recreated in the image of God. But your soul, your operating system has been unchanged. You may have had an emotional experience upon salvation. You may have had the grace to never look back. Those are all possibilities. But I will tell you that there's some area in your operating system, in your soul, that has failed to line up with your spirit. And we see it in your relationships with other people. We see it in your marriages. We see it. Others see it in your marriages. They see it in how you work, in your work relationships. They see it in your church relationships. It shows up because wherever you go, that's where you are. And so people see it. But here is the deception. Many Christians who receive the Spirit of God and their, their spirit is recreated, which means that if Jesus is in you, And that's what the Bible says, Christ in us, several times in the letters that Paul has written, Christ in us, the hope of glory. That means if Christ's life is living in us, which Galatians 2.20 says is not our life, but it's his life in us, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit testifies of the life of Christ in us which means if Christ, the living God, is in your spirit, that in your spirit are all 66 books of the Bible. Every promise that Jesus was available to Jesus is available to you, resident in your spirit. Every experience that Jesus had is resident in your spirit. Every word that Jesus spoke is in you, for he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will remain. And then the Bible tells us that the word became flesh, and his name is Jesus. So Jesus, the word of God, is in you, in your spirit, in all of its fullness and glory. Well, Kim, if he is in us in all of his fullness and all of his glory, how come I'm not experiencing it in my life? Here's the problem. You've got stuff. Plans, purposes, miracles, things that God wants to, resources that God wants to run through your life. The challenge is it's all sitting on the hardware. You haven't, it hasn't integrated with your soul. In other words, there's never been a restart in your soul. There's never been a place of Shut down. That's why the Bible says, "Be still and know that I'm God." Why? Because when you're still and knowing God, He's uploading from your hard drive to your software. Some of you have thought, you know, terrible thoughts, and you just seem to can't get free of things. You can't just stop people pleasing. It's like almost like native to you. And you worked, and you tried, and you repent, and you do all these things. And God said, the problem isn't your repentance. The problem is that there's nothing overriding the plan. Listen to what this says. He says, let the mind of Christ that was in Christ be in you. He also says that there is therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk after the spirit and not after the flesh. For the law of life in Christ Jesus has overcome the law of sin and death. So in your operating system, not in your spirit, your spirit is recreated, it's finished, it's perfect, it's in the image of God. It's the DNA of God. But in your soul, your operating system has not been upgraded because what's in your spirit has not migrated to your soul. So if we apply it to what we're talking about tonight, the love of God is resident in your spirit right now. But for many of us, we only have smidgens of his love operating in our soul. And and some of us have so little of the love of God operating in our soul that it it can't even override the strength of some of the things that you contend with. There's just not enough love in you to do that. There's not enough power. The Bible says we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the power can be demonstrated through us. So the question becomes, if I have all of this love in my spirit, how do I get it in my soul where it can begin to do what it's designed to do? And that is override my thinking. It's designed to override what I do. It's designed to give me the graces to respond to God. When a computer, when new new information overrides the old, we don't even give a thought about the old problem anymore. We don't to think about it. It's gone. The reason why so many of you relive your past is because it gets, keeps getting triggered in your present, and there's not enough love to deal with it. So it goes away for another day. Fear is a demand for love, and typically when we become afraid, we run or we attack, but we never deal with it. Or we make all of these endless confessions, God, kind of ask me how I know, guys. I've confessed the word, I've prayed, I speak in tongues, I, I've done it all. I've been doing this a long time. But I am the most freest that I have ever been in my life, and it's not because I went to this massive work program. There is an ease in the grace of God, and it requires that you receive the love of God. Let me show you this. In first John four nineteen, it says that we are able to love others, we're able to love God, and ultimately we're able to love others because he first loved us. Now, people, there's a difference between knowing God loves you and being loved by God. There's a difference in knowing about the love of God. All of us know about the love of God. There's a difference between talking about the love of God, preaching about the love of God, but it's a very different thing being loved by God. Here's an example of being loved. One of the day, one day, I did the worst thing. I, it was after I'd done one of the worst things that I ever thought I could do in my life. It went against everything I believe, and I'm telling you, this was a time where I loved God, going to church, ministry, and all those kinds of things, and If there was a worst thing I could ever do, this was it. And no, I'm not going to tell you what it is. But just trust me, it was the worst thing I could have ever done. And I remember I felt so bad, so dirty. I fell to my knees. And before I could get my words out asking God to forgive me, tears just rolled down my I, I mean uncontrollable tears. I couldn't even, I'm trying to get the words out. I couldn't get the words out. And a still small voice to me said, I knew you before I put you in your mother's womb. And before you were born, knowing everything you would ever do, I still chose you and reserved you for myself. And by the way, tears you're crying, it's because they're falling from heaven, because I knew you would be here to this day, and I wanted you to know that I'm entering in your suffering. I am the moisture of your tears. Now rise up and behold. That is the love of God in action. I didn't care from that moment on what anybody else thought of me because my God loved me. I didn't know about the love of God. I felt it. There's no way God is going to give you five senses and use none of them for himself to declare his love for you. He said, oh, taste and see that I'm good. Taste what? His love. Oh, the aroma of his fragrance. You're supposed to smell his love. Hear. He gives the hearing ear and the seeing eye. There's no way he's going to cause you to see everything in this earth and miss him with your eyes. You're supposed to see him everywhere you go. You're supposed to hear him. You're supposed to feel him. Yesterday, we said that even though you experience feelings, it doesn't mean you have to be governed by them. So this isn't about being wimpy. This isn't about just, oh, you know, being super emotional. This is about entering in to the life of Christ in all of its dimensions. So there's a difference in knowing. And many of you here, many of you here, you know about the love of God. You teach the love of God. But if you're honest with yourself, you haven't allowed God to love you in the deepest places in your heart where it hurts, where you don't want to be exposed. You don't want to – I get it. I, many of you, when you got on here, are so concerned about privacy. That's what I'm going to say to you. Listen, let me tell you something about freedom. And all that have been set free in an area of their life know this to be true.
1: And if you've ever had a
0: baby, mothers, you know this is true. There comes a point that you don't care who sees you naked, delivering a baby with your legs spread open. You don't care who knows what they know about you. Your freedom is more valuable, important to you than what people think about you. And that's huge for a people pleaser because when we engage in people-pleasing behaviors, one of the symptoms is that we care more about what others think than what God thinks about us. Wow. Let me see some emojis here. What are you guys hearing? <laughs> Jealous is if you can get the baby out. <laughs> my, my that's my daughter right there. <laughs> oh my, oh my, 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 my. What are you guys saying? What are you hearing? Because I want to show you how to get the love of God. How you can get it every day, as often as you want, and I want to show it to you very practically and through a word picture so that when you leave here, you will get it and you will got it and you will never lose it again.
1: Let's see. Let's
0: see what we're saying. Amy, show me some. Help me, Amy. I I think I'm scrolling. I don't know if it's stuck or I see a thumbs up. Let's see what else I see here. Let's see. <laughs> As my, my daughter says, if you can get a baby out, you're qualified to <laughs> see Oh, wow, now that's smart. And, and what I just heard is if someone has the ability to help you get out, then they're qualified to see you. You can hear me? <laughs> you know, I have to, every once in a while, I have to get a check in to make sure I'm on point. See, because we're all under authority. You guys think I just do this by myself. You have no idea how much Amy really does. You have no idea how much she does to make this happen so like I can sit here and, and be me with you. So give Amy some thumbs up, hands up, high fives. I'm telling you guys, she has spent time on the phone with some of you who have never been on Facebook to start a Facebook page, to get in the group. I'm telling you, above and beyond. So be sure to thank Amy. Uh, awesome, awesome, awesome. So let me do this. Yes, how do we get that love? I'm about to tell you right now. Tell you right now. And I want to do it first by giving you an example. In the Bible, God uses symbols a lot. He uses types and shadows. But I want to tell you about a symbol. And the thing about a symbol is, the thing about a symbol is this. I'm not sure what that was. The thing about a symbol is this. The more attributes or the more things in common as a symbol has to the thing that you're trying to relate it to or the thing that it represents, the stronger and more compelling the symbol. In other other words, the more characteristics that the symbol has in common with the thing you are explaining, the stronger the symbol is. The fewer things that have in common with the characteristics, then the weaker the symbol. The stronger the symbol functions and behaves like the thing you're talking about, the stronger the symbol. And the less it functions in the same way as it's representing, the less strong is the symbol. So what I want to share with you is the strength of the symbol of water as it portrays the love of God. And so I'm going to give you a few things, and if you try to write them down, I'm telling you you're going to miss me. Amy's going to tell me how to get this to you. I don't know if we need to copy this chart or whatever that I'm reading off of it, but I'm telling you, Amy will take care of you to a fault. So just listen. Just listen. And let the living word enter your heart with this. And then I'll show you how to get it for yourself. So what I'm doing right now is I want to show you the strength, the likeness of water, and how it behaves to the love of God. So let's talk about characteristics first. The first characteristic, the makeup of water, is three molecules. And there's two hydrogen oxygen two hydrogen molecules, and one oxygen. God's love is three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Check. Characteristic number two, the form. Water can exist in three states, solid, liquid, and gas. God's love. The Bible says God is love. So we're talking about God, and we're talking about love. Love can exist in three states. Solid, that would be the Son of God, that would be Jesus Christ come in the flesh, solid. It can exist as a liquid, the Holy Spirit, and it can exist as a gas, Father God. God is spirit. So check number two. Number three, the capacity of water. Water has the highest heat capacity of any substance. Its range in temperatures make it virtually indestructible. The highest authority and power in the universe is the eternal nature of God, which is love, which is indestructible. Water can't quench it. Fire can't destroy it. Check. Number four, water is cohesive. It's cohesive. It's sticky. It's it's elastic. It adheres and climbs up materials like glass. And it looks to attract to each other. It's small and in tubular objects without breaking a molecule. It can it can it can take the shape of things without being destroyed. God is one, and thus He's inseparable. Deuteronomy six four and Romans three thirty says that nothing can separate us from God's love. God's love is inseparable; you can't break it apart. God's love is a fountain; it springs up. Moreover, God fits in whatever area of life you will offer to Him. So many of us we we offer. Bits and pieces. I, I know we say, oh, God, all my life is yours, only until he's touched tar- touching that place that hurts you. The place that you don't want him to touch is the place that he wants to get his love to you. The place that you're afraid is the place that he wants to get his love to you. And it can take the shape. If you offer God a crack, his love can get in that crack. Oh, God, I pray that the cracks would open tonight. In the areas that you need God's love the most, because love will find a way if it only has a crack. And then character another crack characteristic, water is a universal solvent. It can dissolve more um, substances uh, than any other liquid. It can just dissolve more substances. It is a universal solvent. It can dissolve substances stronger than itself. So it just speaks to the power and the strength of water and its ability to be able to absorb almost anything. Well the love of God, it can dissolve everything. It dissolves sin, it dissolves fear. And every other kind of evil revolving around mankind contending for supremacy in your life. Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. There is nothing that you can present to the love of God that would prevent him, that would diminish his love for you, that would change his love for you, that would alter it. God loves you as a sovereign act of his will, and there's nothing you can do about it, and there's no situation that you can't bring to him that he cannot absorb. He's not afraid of your pain. He's not afraid of your wrong choices. He's not afraid of uh, you sin. Listen, God's provision for sin was the cross. God's provision for hiding is exposure. I told you the other day, the only healing that God does is in relationship, That's why we need each other if we seek to be healed. And then let me just also do this. Let me share. So we talked about the characteristics. Now, how many of you see the characteristics between the love of God and water? And so now we need to talk about the functions of water and the functions of God's love. And I'm going to ask you a question at the end of this, so hold on to it. The first function, water delivers life-giving oxygen to blood and cells. God's love gives us a breath of life, making us a living soul. The love of God has the power to bring you to life, power to raise you up. It has the power to give life to the areas in your life that are dying or in decay. It has that kind of authority in your life. The the water behaves, it nourishes the cells that make up the tissues and organs. Love feeds the graces of God into your soul that enable you to reflect Christ. What are those graces? Look at the fruit of the Spirit. So the love of God says the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, and contained in love are all these other things. It feeds the graces of God into your life. It nourishes you. Listen, talk to somebody that that, that is loved, that knows their love. I mean, they just light up. There's something about them that's just alive, and it's not manufactured. It's just real. And then number three, water behaves to hydrate muscles and lubricate joints and facilitate your ability, your body's ability to move. Well, the love of God is a lubricant to our soul. It massages our will. It massages our yes and no muscles. It improves our willingness to receive and respond to truth. The love of God moisturizes and massages your ability to surrender to God. Sometimes God asks us to do very difficult things, but the love of God makes it just a little bit easier. Many of us are facing and dealing with some uh, people-engaging and people-pleasing behavior, and guess what? That we're all here doing it together makes it just a little bit easier, doesn't it? Hearing other people's testimonies of areas that they've engaged in people-pleasing and just disclosing themselves and being honest, and, and I see you guys responding and encouraging people, that's the love of God at work in this sacred space. And then um, water flushes harmful toxins and waste from our body. Well, love flushes fear from our soul. The Bible says we read earlier that perfect love drives out fear. It flushes fear from your soul, improving your ability to fulfill your divine destiny. Love is responsible for driving out your fear. So doesn't it make sense if love is responsible for driving out my fear? Listen, watch this. Love is responsible for driving out fear. It says love drives out fear. It doesn't say Kim Moore drives out fear. It doesn't say Amy Brunell drives out fear. It doesn't say relationship game changers. The Facebook group drives out fear. It says love drives out fear. If that's the case, I've got to get more of this love in me, and maybe the reason I'm stuck because I don't have enough of the love of God in me because while I'm talking about the love of God, I am not being loved by God. And then lastly, water regulates the body's temperature. Well, the love of God manages the climate of emotions in your soul. Oh, my gosh. Love keeps you balanced. Love is responsible for your composure and self-control. And all of these, I'm going to give you the scriptures that support what I'm saying because I just want you to get the symbolism here. So how many of you, give me thumbs up if you agree that water is a good symbol for love, for God's love. If you agree with that, water is a great symbol for God's love. Let me see some thumbs up. Amen, I see that because I want to tell you how to get it, but I want to make sure that we're agreeing that water is a real good picture of love. Awesome, awesome. I see you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome, awesome. Love it. Love it. Love it. Well, now, let me tell you, let me ask you this question, then I'm going to tell you how to receive it. Here's the question I have for you. Ready? Ready? You can write this one down if you want, but I really wouldn't because you'll get it once I say it. Aside, listen closely, aside from drinking water, aside from drinking a bottle or glass of water, aside from just drinking it, that is, all you do is drink it. What do you do, aside from drinking it, what do you do to get the water to behave the way God designed it to behave. In other words, what do you do after drinking water to deliver it to to the cells and tissues and the areas of your soul that's needed? What do you do to get water to go to the cells and the and the and the, and the blood that it needs to be that needs to be oxygenated? What do you do to get water to nourish your cells and the tissues in your organs? What involvement do you have in telling water, directing water, or making water hydrate your muscles and lubricating your joints and facilitating your movement? What do you do besides drinking? And then what do you do to call besides drinking to cause water to flush the harmful toxins from your life, from your body? What do you do? Do you tell it? How do you know? Did you identify the toxins? Did you tell it what toxins to address? How do you even know which toxins are harmful in your body and which ones aren't? And even if you did know all of the toxins, how do you get far enough in your body to see, that closed up microscopically, to tell water what to do, when to do it, and what cells need to be flushed from your body versus those that need to stay? And besides drinking water, what do you do to cause it to regulate the temperature in your body? What do you do? Tell me, if any of you can tell, what do you do? I just listed five things that water does once it's inside of your body. And my question to you is, other than drinking it, what do you do? I hear you. I see the comments. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Once you drink water, there is nothing you can do, nothing you're asked to do, nothing you're responsible for doing. Oh, my gosh, I hope you're hearing me. There is nothing that God requires of you but to get the water in your body, to get the love of God in your soul, and then he does the work. Remember that scripture? My father has been working, and I'm just entering into it. Once the love of God is in your soul, it does the work. And your muscles, your soul muscles, your yes and no muscles, your ability to think and decide for yourself, the, 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 the ability to choose whom you're going to serve, it is the natural response to love working in your soul. Now, what happens to a car that doesn't have oil? You will blow the engine. It won't drive. And such is the state of many of us who profess Christ. We have the word, we have faith, but we have little love operating in our souls. And so we're still doing the same things we did 20 years ago. We're around the same bush. We're stuck. Why? Because there's not enough love in your soul to inspire you. That's what love does. Love inspires you. You ever feel inspired by something? When you're inspired, doesn't it make you want to do something? Come on, guys, be real with me. When something inspires you, you there is a natural desire to respond to it, isn't it? And that's what God desires. He wants to love you so well, so deeply, so good that you can't help but to respond to Him. Not because you have to, but because you want to. Because you're so full of the love of God, you don't even mind being hurt because you are head on, fixed and steadfast, unmovable, always responding to the Lord. Where He says, as much as you know, your labor's not in vain. And see, the whole of your Christian life is to stay your eyes on Him. Because what we look at, we become. So God wants to just publish his love in your soul more than you have room enough to receive because he understands whatever you become full of, you will live out of. That's why he says out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth will speak. That's why when you don't mean to say something and you say it, it's because it's in you to say it. But what love will do will drive out those things that are incompatible with the love of God. He does the work. We just have to get the water in us and the love in us. So the question is, how do we get the love of God from our spirit? How do we go from knowing about the love of God and receiving it in our spirit to allowing him to, 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 to being loved, which means receiving love in our soul? Well, here's a couple of examples to drive the point home again. One way you can do it, and I pray that after tonight you'll never look at a bottle of water or a glass of water the same. in fact, I pray that you'll never look at a liquid again. Listen, we know how this works. We all take communion. Communion is symbolism. It's a symbol of an actuality that activates something in us. So we're already practicing symbolism. So every time you take the bread, You're remembering the death of the Lord Jesus, this body being broken for you. And it stands in, representing the body of Christ, and then the blood, symbolic of the blood of Christ. And so routinely, as part of our Christian life, and if you don't do it routinely, I encourage you, don't wait for church on Sunday morning. Take communion for as often as you do it. You do it in remembrance of him. And when you take communion, you're activating everything that goes along with communion in your body. Wow. So when you drink a glass of water now, I want you to consider it. This is the love of God. And there's a prayer. There's a simple prayer that you can pray. And I've actually wrote one, and Amy will remind me to post it. But it's just a template. You can can say it however you want to say it. The point is that you say it from your heart and not your head. But basically the Bible says the love of God has been shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost. It's been shed abroad in our spirit. Lord, I want that in my soul. You promised me that. And so when you drink the water, Father, I thank you. I receive the love of God into my soul today as an intentional act of my will. I know that your love is, your love is, the love of God is full in my spirit, but God, I want that same love operating in my soul. So fill me with the love of God. You said that you would be in me a well of water springing up into eternal life. You said that out of my belly will flow rivers of living water. Lord, that is the love of God. And so, Father God, we just thank you. Fulfilling me and releasing the love of God in my soul. And I'll tell you what, I did that for 30 days with, a, with some ladies. Every Saturday we would come together. I told them, I don't want you to ask God for anything else. I don't want you to pray for people. What do you mean? We're not going to pray for people? Isn't that crazy? There will be plenty of time to pray for people. In fact, your prayers will be a whole lot better if you're full of the love of God because you're less likely to pray, pay and pray amidst when you're full of the love of God. And the, the thing is, we, we, we sat quietly, prayed, played some soft music. We had our journals, and we each wrote down. And I'll tell you what, the testimonies at the end of those 30 days were amazing. People were talking about things that they had never done before that they just did, people that they needed to go to and repent, and they did. But it wasn't this labor and like, oh, they wanted to. See, love makes you want to do. It inspires you to want to do what is right even when your head and your flesh are contending. God, by turning glasses of water into love every time you drink. I still do it. Another way you can receive the love of God is this. If you like, you think about a hot tub. When you go and sit in a hot tub or a hot bath, all you do is get in it. But if you sit in that hot tub long enough, you get out and you feel different. You feel relaxed. Because the heat of the water acts on your body and releases tension, loosens muscles, and you feel great when you get out. Well, if you like taking hot baths or going to a hot tub or whatever, sit in it. But now sit in the love of God and let the love of God work on you from the inside out. Lord, I'm sitting in this hot tub. I'm sitting in this bathtub, and I'm just going to sit here, and I'm just going to thank you for the love of God. I'm just going to thank you that you were saturating my whole body with the love. I do it when I'm getting a shower. There are times I'm in the shower, Lord, I just thank you that the love of God is being poured out all over me now. It's so important in this hour because the Bible says the world will know us by our love for one another, not how much word we know, not how often we preach, not how often we teach, not about our theological sermons and our ability to break down the word. It doesn't say that. It says the world would know the true disciples by how well they love one another and loving others from a pure motive, not because we're trying to please them. Oh, people of God, that's so different. It may look the same, but as I said yesterday, all things are naked and open to whom we must give an account, and the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it pierces. It, listen to what it does. It separates your soul from your spirit. Wow. You've got to ask yourself, why would the word of God need to separate my soul and my spirit? Maybe because there's some things that are perpetrating in your soul that aren't necessarily lining up with the spirit, and without separating them, you wouldn't see it. Some of you would not have even looked at people pleasing the way you are now a month ago because here we're dealing with spirit and soul. We're separating spirit and soul, and we want the love of God in your spirit to manifest itself and fill you and warm you in your soul. And then it says it separates the joints from the marrow, and it distinguishes the thoughts and intents of the heart, which is the point I wanted to make to you. is You can be doing the right thing with the wrong motives, and nobody may know you might be grand, 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 you know, big giver, you know, preaching, teaching, winning people to the Lord in your ministry or your business is booming. And you're just, you know, you're you know, just doing all these things for God. But underneath of it, there's a little leaven in the Moses. And the Bible says a little leaven. Leaven's the whole month. Hey, guys. We've got to get the love of God in us in this hour like at no other time, and here's why. When we are engaging in people-pleasing behavior, as I said to you, you are at risk of establishing an altar in your life, and an altar is a place of exchange. It's a place of sacrifice, and it's a place of worship. When you people-please, you are sacrificing your life on the altar. You're sacrificing the life God is giving you to govern, you to steward on the altar, so you lose your life in trying to save it. Oh, I think there's a scripture. I think it was Jesus that he who seeks to save his own life will lose it, but he was willing to lose his life for my sake will find it. So when we engage in people-pleasing behavior, we're at risk of sacrificing our lives. And because it's an altar that you erect, it's a place of worship. And the Bible says we can't worship God and man at the same time. So the altar of people-pleasing is in direct contradiction to worshiping God. Moreover, when we engage in people-pleasing habitually, we make other people our idols. And the Bible has a lot to say about idols. Listen, God needs you right now. Oh, my God, he needs you right now. But he needs you so full of the love of God that if someone poach you, you will bleed love. If someone speaks evil of you, you will bleed love. Your, your response you will you will kill them with kindness because that's who you are. So it's different. It's not I'm not trying to love. I am love. I'm not trying to be kind. I am kind. That's what the love of God does for you. It makes you something because whatever you're trying, you're not. God wants you to be. He said, be holy, for I'm holy. And the love of God does that in so much more. Hey, God, I want you to make it to your destiny. I want you to get there. I want you to see and take the limits off of God and trust him that he will help you. He said, fear not, five times in Isaiah, I will help you. He said, trust in me and lean not to your own understanding. He said the steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. Your steps were ordered here tonight. You just happen to agree with God. And prayerfully, you got something out of it. But I'm out of it. But I'm cheering you on. I want you to make it. I want to be part of your story. I want you to be part of my story. I want you to live in the land of the free, in the home of the brave. I want you to live surrounded by brave people. So when it comes your turn to be brave, it's like second nature. It's native to you because that's where you live. That's who you are. The Bible says of Joshua, be strong, be bold, be strong, for the Lord thy God is with you. And when you're full of the love of God, he is with you and nothing can separate you from the love of God. That's what Romans said. He also says he will work all things together for good because you love him and have been called according to his purpose. That means if you stop people-pleasing, if you choose to serve God and choose to exercise your no muscle, then God's got you. And even if the outcome isn't what you want it to be with other people, they no longer like you, no longer want to be in a relationship with you, it's okay, God's got somebody else for you. He's got other people that love you, that love who you are, that don't require you to be a certain way in order for you to be a certain for them to be a certain way. They just love you. You've got to have people in your life that you just love. That you 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 will you choose not to live in offense with them. Amy can make me mad as a harder. And trust me, when you work closely with somebody, you don't always agree. But this one thing I know. We've decided that our love for God and our love for each other and the love of, of, for what God has called us to do will never, never be usurped by offense. So there's nothing that can happen that we won't go through in the name of Jesus. And I want that for you. I want people to be in your life like that. I want you to have some relationships where there's a mutual honesty, mutual vulnerability, because relationships can only go as deep as you are vulnerable. You've got to find a tribe. You've got to find a community. And that's what I want to talk to you about tomorrow night. I want to talk to you about the importance of community and what makes a healthy community, what makes a healthy relationship. I want to talk to you about those things tomorrow because I want you to make it. I want you to make it. I want to cheer you on. I want to be in it with you, and I want to be at the finish line. You did it. We did it. That's what I desire for you. That's what I hope for you. So I hope that you'll do the homework tonight. And the homework is this. Over the next 24 hours, I want you to drink at least eight glasses of water. I want you to consecrate those water, that water, each glass. And I want you to use it as a symbol of the Lord's love, God's love, Father's love. He said, behold what manner of love he has for us, that he calls us his children. But not only are we children, we're kings and priests. So I want you to take that water, and I want you to intentionally receive it. Symbolic of the love of God. and If you can drink more than that, drink more than that. Just claim it and name it love and receive it into your soul. And that's all you have to do. And I promise you that if you will incorporate that into your life, beginning with this exercise, but if you'll incorporate that in your life, you will begin to see yourself say and do things that you never match. Because it's not you. It's him in you doing the works, and he's giving you the inspiration, the motivation, which is love, to take the risk because he's got you. So eight glasses of water, intentionally receive them as love, and then I just want you to write down what you experienced, go live, and tell me about it. Tell me about Listen, when you tell me about it, tell me about your experience. I want to know what it meant for you. I just want you to talk about you. We can learn from you. So all I want, just confine into this is what you can start on. This is what happened for me when I drank eight glasses. Some of you, you may not notice any difference. Some of you, God might bless with a revelation. I don't know. It's different for everybody. But what I do know is this, that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if nothing happens to you right away, I can tell you at the end of that 30 days, something happened for each of those ladies. I don't know what God's time is, but what I do know is he is true, and he's not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he, that he should repent, and he loves you and wants you to be loved and wants to give you love sometimes more than you want to receive it. So he's more committed to this thing than you are. But he needs your faith. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. So believe him. Write down your experience. Tell me about your experience. That's what I want to hear. My experience was like this, Kim. This is what I experienced. Yeah. And then if you have any questions to anything you've heard up to this point, if you would just drop them in the comment box, we will put this video in the unit section. I have so much. I, Amy, did I forget anything? Do you want to come in here and jump on? Or if I forgot anything, uh, let me know. Uh, If not, I'm going to close in prayer. I hope you guys got something out of this today. Um, Yes, yes, I see, I'm looking at comments. Give me a second, guys, just to scroll through some of these comments. For some reason, it's not scrolling. So, Amy, I don't hear you or see you, so I'm going to assume that we're good. Let's see. We are good. (laughs) <laughs> we're good. we're good. All right, guys, let me close in prayer, and then we will keep it moving. We will be here tomorrow. And remember, I got a surprise for you. I'm going to have one of my clients who I, I want to say I had to convince her, but really when you're free, you don't have to be convinced. I'm telling you guys, oh, I can't wait for you to meet her. I mean, it's just amazing the change in her demeanor from the first day we talked to the third day when we finish this three sessions to a breakthrough. Amazing. But I want her to tell you all about it. We're going to talk about community tomorrow, what's a healthy community. I got some things to share with you tomorrow, so I want you to show up, be present. I'm looking for your videos, so put them out there for me. And don't forget, on Friday, we've got some giveaways. We're going to be giving away one three-session to a breakthrough coaching. And as I told you, if God can raise people, uh, if God can raise Jesus in three days, certainly he can do something fantastic in your life in three days. Let me just say one other thing. There is the, there is counseling and there is the counsel of God. They're different. Counseling is a process where a trained therapist will work with you. The three sections to a breakthrough is the counsel of God, and the counsel of God is one of the seven spirits of God, and the counsel of God is the answer of God. The Bible says many are the plans of men, but the counsel of of the Lord will stand. And so when we get into these sections, it's the counsel of the Lord that joins us and gives us seeing eyes and hearing ears and causes the breakthroughs that people are experiencing. So I want to share that with you tomorrow, and um, I want to thank those that I don't know how many stayed on from the Relationship Game Changers call. Every Wednesday, we get on the call, and uh, we do some teaching, but I think we're going to do more praying, but I just appreciate you guys being on the call so much and hanging out with us tonight. We appreciate you. We love you in Jesus' name. Guys, we'll see you tomorrow night, 8 p.m. Hey, it's not too late to involve somebody. Time your friends up for the challenge because they'll be able to go back and look at the videos through the weekend so they won't miss anything. So if you got something out of tonight and it blessed you in a particular way, you know that there's somebody that's people-pleasing and it's killing them then share, share, share what you're receiving in Jesus' name. Well, we bless you, and we will see you on the call tomorrow. We will see you live. Have a great evening, guys. Let's see. I don't know how to make it not be live. I'll just close it all out. Right? I don't know how to stop it. It's not stopping. It's like... I already did. It's off. It's converting. But this... Oh, maybe it's just converting. Oh, it's off. It's over. Mine says broadcasts and I'll I don't know what to do then. I really don't know what to do about that. The the, the Zoom is closed. Let me um, get off.